You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A show of solidarity this afternoon in Surrey's Fleetwood Park in the face of racism. A picnic table at that park was vandalized with hateful graffiti not once but twice in the past few days. As Cassidy Moscone reports, neighbours came together today to stand up against intolerance. A picnic table smeared in hate. Racist slurs Global News has chosen not to show and words the Surrey community is standing up against. I wanted to do something uh, to show the community that people are looking to uh, support each other and, and do, don't want to spread fear and that this type of thing won't be tolerated. A community gathering standing in solidarity with all who use Fleetwood Park. Attendees outraged when they noticed the tag Sunday morning. The first thing I thought was, you know what, I've got what I need to remove that. The quicker I get down there, the less people are going to be affected by such a hateful message. Shock and disbelief Monday afternoon when they discovered the tables targeted again. Literally just after they yesterday. Another one? Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. I can't believe they wrote it again. Instances of racism are on the rise and underreported in this province. If you are a victim or witness any hateful act, local police urge you to take action and call it in. Just last week in the Coquitlam area, disturbing discrimination plastered on signs across the neighbourhood. I think it's alarming that they are still happening and at the rate that they're happening and how close to us that they're happening. In a statement, the Surrey Mayor told Global News, I am disgusted by this and I will be talking to the OIC of Surrey RCMP to see if they can find the perpetrator who committed this tasteless and hurtful act. Surrey thrives on its diversity. Hate speech and racist views have absolutely no place in our city. Rain or shine, there's no place for hate uh, in our community. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. The National Day for Truth and Reconciliation was Saturday, but true reconciliation doesn't happen in just one day. And communities are continuing to come together to acknowledge the history and impacts of residential schools. In the Cowichan Valley, thousands gathered today for the third annual Every Child Matters March in Duncan. Kylie Stanton reports. The rain no match for this sea of orange flowing through the streets of Duncan Monday morning. What our ancestors went through is horrible. It's great that there's all this support. Thousands came out to participate in this march, marking the third annual National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, recognizing the horrors of Canada's residential school system while honoring the children who never made it home and the survivors who did. We have to start somewhere and we have to break the cycle somewhere and by organizing this event this provides us the platform and the opportunity, the audience, so that we can build bridges. Many ready to do their part, here to listen and learn. That is why you're here today. This day um, and every day is, is becoming to mean a lot for me as I grow and continue on my personal journey of truth and reconciliation. And I feel very lucky to be here. We can all play some role in, in healing these, these deep wounds and, and making sure nothing like this uh, ever happens again in this country. Oh, 
But First Nations warn it's going to require much more than putting on an orange shirt once a year. Instead, it's about seeking answers to the tough questions. Asking, you know, can I learn more about residential school? What can I do to make a difference? How can I make things better? It's a shift no one here expects to happen overnight. Oh. But in the sea, you can feel the tides changing. Showing strength, showing we're still here. Kylie Stanton, Global News. BC Conservative Party leader John Rustad is not backing off or apologizing for his comments over the weekend on social media. His post on X, formerly Twitter, appeared to compare residential schools to teaching students about SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identity. Janet Brown reports. John Rustad is standing behind his tweet two days ago. What I said was historically accurate, uh, and I believe that you know, parents need to be involved and should be involved in their children's education and should not be the state that raises children. The tweet said, Today is National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, Orange Shirt Day. Today we remember what happens when the Canadian government thinks it is better at raising children than parents. I will always stand with parents. Those comments are causing a lot of pushback. It was insensitive. I think it was uh, undermining uh, his political views and his platform, but at the same time driving, driving a narrative that sort of rattles people. United BC Party leader Kevin Falcon is critical of Rustad. It's tremendously uh, stupid, quite frankly, uh, on a day that is obviously a highly sensitive day for First Nations to make an analogy like that, a false analogy, uh, and do it you know, without any thought to the people that it's obviously going to be impacting. United BC Party MLA Eleanor Sturko is tweeting, John Rustad not only needs to make an unequivocal apology for his misappropriation of National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, but also for calling homosexuality a lifestyle in media interviews where he doubled down in his ignorance. Abbotsford South MLA Bruce Banman, who recently left BC United Party to join the Conservative Party, has fired back in a tweet saying this sort of hypersensitive woke far left cancel culture waiting to pounce and demand apologies over the slightest oversight of speech or tone is why I and others are leaving the BC United Party in droves. Eleanor, your party is done and everybody knows it. You know, there's going to be lots of people that are going to say lots of things, um, and that's fine. That's what free speech is about. When the legislature resumes Tuesday in Victoria, no doubt this controversy could be on the agenda. Janet Brown, Global News. Well, it towers above Squamish and Howe Sound, and now the Squamish Nation is calling on the provincial government to return Mount Garibaldi to its Indigenous name. As Aaron MacArthur reports, that initiative is just one of several renaming efforts in B.C. that are all part of the truth and reconciliation process. Standing at more than 2,600 metres high, Mount Garibaldi dominates the skyline north of Howe Sound. A name the dormant volcano has only had since 1860. To the Squamish people, the mountain is known as Inchikai. Culturally significant, the nation wants to reclaim its heritage. To me, it's not renaming. It's always been Inchikai. The Squamish nation has requested to make the change official. This week, a letter from the provincial government will be introduced at Squamish City Council asking for input on that request. And if it's... Uh, 
legally or however we go down this road and process to formally change the name to Inchikai, we're ready to share that story. Several recent examples of decolonization involve renaming landmarks, some as big as Haida Gwaii, others as small as street signs. Victoria recently abandoned Trotch Street in favor of Say It or Truth Street. Trotch, BC's first lieutenant governor, is remembered as a racist, actively dismantling what limited rights Indigenous people had at the time. His name is being scrubbed away across the province. To erase Joseph Trutch from the map in Vancouver, the Musqueam Nation gifted the city a new name for this street. It translates to Musqueam View in English. A year later, the signs haven't been changed. The city says to ensure cultural best practices, no timeline can be given on when the new signs can be installed. Here in BC, we have over 264 identified Indigenous communities. We want to make sure we have the unity to come together to have these conversations. The province is asking Squamish Council to respond to its letter by the end of 2023. The government will take feedback before deciding on the possible name change, but there is no timeline given for that decision. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An investigation is underway into what caused a fire that tore through a commercial area of Carisdale overnight. A number of businesses have been destroyed and several people are left looking for new places to live. Grace Key has more. After years of hard work, these small family-run businesses have been destroyed and residents who lived above them are homeless. The blaze broke out at about 10 o'clock Sunday night on 41st Avenue near East Boulevard in Vancouver. Firefighters arrived to find flames and smoke at the back of one of the buildings. I think the firewalls are a, diff uh, a lot of trouble in these buildings. Uh, they're older, they're, they're all touching, they're adjoining, and I believe that with the, the lack of firewalls, the fire just travels from unit to unit is what happens. Two firefighters suffered minor injuries. At one point, crews could no longer battle the blaze from inside the buildings after a roof collapsed with four apartment units on top. Luckily, they were under renovation and empty. But next door, neighbors in four units scrambled out to safety. No residents were hurt. Uh, we basically grabbed everybody, alerted the neighbors, grabbed cats and pets and essentials and just fled. Uh, then we've been here all night as these four businesses burned down. Entire building's gone. The upper floor is caved into the buildings below. It's a total loss, but they managed to save our building. They call us all the time to make sure we the restaurant's still going. <laughs> the new and siblings had to call their parents who are vacationing in Europe to let them know about the fire. Yesterday was like, oh, uh, there's a huge fire. And he was like, oh my God, is it? And then like, it wasn't our fault though. I didn't leave anything on, I swear. I didn't leave any stoves on anything. They've always wanted to open up their own, so they got us working there. So we've just been running it as a family together. So. And, and this neighborhood's amazing because we've always been a community with this neighborhood, so now it's just a little devastating right now of having all these businesses affected. Four businesses are a complete loss. The cause of the blaze is under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. Families facing some tough decisions. Did we fail? You know, uh, we're selling our house and we're not buying something else. Did we fail at being 30-somethings? How high interest rates are prompting some mortgage holders to give up on home ownership for now. That's next on the News Hour. If you can hold off, Christmas may very well come early for Vancouver drivers. 
The remarkable drop in gas prices coming. How much and will it be short-lived? That's later on the news hour. Plus. We are looking for one of these other types of vehicles that's a little bit more nimble and can get us a little bit further afield to get to people in need. A plea from Squamish Search and Rescue to help them help save lives. What they need in order to win a specialized vehicle still to come tonight. Right now, though, with interest rates now sitting at two-decade highs, there's no doubt many families' finances are being strained. While there hasn't been an uptick in mortgage delinquencies or defaults so far, as Kamal Karamali reports, some families are making the decision to climb off the property ladder, sell their homes, and start renting instead. When James Sloan Minchel bought this Langley townhome in 2018, it was to fulfill a dream. Family, growing growth. But with growing interest rates, owning this home came at a steeper price than he ever imagined, having to give up a certain quality of life. Everything has changed. The grocery habits, the, the food my dog eats, the, um, the length and distance of which vehicle we drive and for how long and so he and his husband have decided to sell their dream and go back to the rental market oh we're gutted we are absolutely gutted downsizing something many are considering now given the bank of canada's historic surge in its key interest rate from one percent in april of last year to five percent in its most recent bump but oddly enough bc's mortgage delinquency rate which is the percentage of homeowners that are overdue in their mortgage payments has stayed steady so how are people still able to make their mortgage payments with interest rates skyrocketing People are modifying their payment strategies. So instead of the accelerated payments that they were making previously, they're reducing that to the minimum. And even getting creative with finding savings elsewhere. They're going down to a one car household or getting less expensive vehicles. They're taking on students, billets, or renting out parking or storage areas within their home. Mortgage brokers say banks are also allowing some leniency. There is a lot of options as far as the re-amortizations, re-looking at a, at a refinance, different things like that before you get into a, um, into a situation where you're not paying your mortgage. But how long can that last? Pessimist side hopes, hopes, hopes like crazy it doesn't go up much more because I don't, there, we're, I think we're at a breaking point right now. For those who feel stretched thin, their downsizing has a big upside. We'll be in a position after we move into this rental from the sale of our house to actually bank money. Hoping a smaller home means a grander quality of life. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And housing will be one of the key issues tackled when the legislature returns tomorrow. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on, I'm sure, what will be fireworks in the house, Keith. Yeah, it's going to be a lively time here. The 87 MLAs return to the chamber tomorrow, starting at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. First question period up at 10.30. And it's going to have a new look, because for the first time in almost 30 years, we're going to have a number of opposition parties. In fact, three opposition parties will be taking their seats in the legislature. That's the most we've had since the mid-1990s. We've got the United, the Conservatives, and the Greens. Uh, about 
a little more than 12 bills being introduced, uh, touching on issues such as housing, four bills involving housing, emergency management when it comes to fighting wildfires, some tweaks to the drug policy, decriminalization, and those are the major legislature themes. And there's also going to be a new law coming in that's designed to allow foreign-trained immigrants to work in their professions. This has long been an issue in health care with doctors and nurses not being allowed to practice, but also applies to other professions. This bill's been in the works for about two years now, and that's going to be a major center point of the session. Look for fireworks because the B.C. Conservatives and the B.C. United basically sharing the same side of the House and sharing the same electoral pie. There's some tension there that will develop. It all unfolds over the next two months, ends in the last week in November. They're going to take next week off, so things won't really get going around here for a couple of weeks. But tomorrow's question period should be pretty lively. When, again, for the first time almost 30 years, three opposition parties fielding, throwing questions at a provincial government. We'll be keeping you busy, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. Coming up, B-Bandits strike a North Vancouver church. In my last six years of policing in North Van, I haven't really come across a beehive being stolen. The potential profits that make beehives a sweet target for thieves. Plus... He was an L driver, a learner, uh, with too many passengers, no supervisor, and no L sign. A, le a lesson in consequences, the fines he's facing after being clocked at nearly 200 kilometers per hour. An L driver has not, not only lost his wheels, but is facing a big fine after being caught speeding on the upper levels. The North Vancouver RCMP traffic unit pulled over the driver near Lonsdale after he was clocked at 199 kilometers per hour in an 80 zone while racing another car. The learner was driving without a supervisor and was carrying too many passengers. The 19-year-old from North Vancouver had his vehicle impounded for seven days and was issued $1,500 in fines. It's reckless behavior by these young drivers that we're seeing. And, uh, you know, our message to parents and young drivers out there is you need to do better. Um, you're putting the public at risk. You're putting yourselves in the passengers at risk and it could have dead, deadly consequences. The driver's response when pulled over, he said the other driver was going faster. Police were unable to stop that second vehicle. Well, if you can put off filling up for a couple of days, you could see some major savings. Industry group Canadians for Affordable Energy says the price at the pump is set to drop by 21 cents per litre on Wednesday. Right now, it's somewhere between 199 to 205 per litre, and it's expected to come down to 184. That's the largest single price drop in a long time, and it's largely due to a major regulatory change in California. As the state of California decided to allow all gasoline imported into that state to, to be uh, made available for sale. Uh, California is a very strict, very rigorous uh, fuel standard. And uh, with the uh, supply issue, a serious problem with two refineries uh, partially shutting down, with some refineries going into maintenance, it was creating a significant uh, crimp on supply, not just in California, but uh, pretty much all along the West Coast. McTigg says the gas prices should stay low through the Thanksgiving long weekend. RCMP aren't exactly setting up a sting to solve an unusual crime at a North Vancouver church, but they are looking for help from the public. As Travis Prasad reports, thousands of bees have gone missing in a honey heist. 
On a beautiful day, the bees would be buzzing around the entrance and they'd go flying off. <laughs> Where there was once a hive of activity, there's now silence. For two years, St. Andrew's United Church has kept tens of thousands of Italian honeybees on their back lawn, the flying insects lifting the spirits of congregants. I was surprised. They loved the bees. You know, they did. They supported it 100%. On the afternoon of September 27th, the beloved beehive vanished from the church grounds without a trace. And I was very upset. I thought, who would do this? The church got the hive from an urban beekeeping company. Maintaining it costs $4,000 a year. Minister Judith Hardcastle says it's money well spent. We do everything we can to, um, to live in a green way. And pollinators were really at risk. And so we decided that would be our next project. The hive created a buzz in the community. It was used for educational workshops, and the church would sell jars of the hive's honey at fundraisers. Experts say beehive thefts are common, but typically happen in the spring or summer. The timing of this bee heist is strange because the hive is more likely to die in the winter, and there aren't any pollination contracts to make money off of. Well, I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Um, not so much from stealing for a church, but stealing, period. North Vancouver RCMP is investigating, but needs the public's help. There are no leads at this point. Uh, there's no CCTV. There's no witnesses. Uh, there's nothing that could uh, help give us to, to the right direction. And it was, you know, high. The minister yeah. hopes she won't need to replace the bees. They could bring the bees back. I'd be very grateful. The bee bandits are asked to return the hive to the church. No questions asked. Travis Prasad, Global News. A grizzly bear kills a couple and their dog in Banff National Park. What a family friend of the couple and expert in bear safety says may have triggered that attack. Plus. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. Donald Trump goes on trial. The case against the former president and what the prosecutor is seeking. Parks Canada is investigating the death of two people killed by a bear in Banff National Park over the weekend. As Global's Carolyn Curry de Castillo reports, an Alberta minister who lives near the area where the attack happened says it's time to talk about the growing grizzly bear population in Alberta. An area west of Yahatinda Ranch by the Banff National Park east boundary remains closed. Parts of the Red Deer and Panther Valleys are off limits as a safety precaution. Parks Canada made the call after two people and their dog were killed by a bear on Friday. It was absolutely the right decision to make. I mean, you know, two people died. Um, uh, that's a horrible outcome. Kevin Van Tegum is a former superintendent of Banff National Park. He says while extremely rare, bear-human conflict is inevitable as more people head to the mountains. Now we are everywhere. We have people canyoning, we have people building their own trails, we have people mountain biking, we have uh, every ridge top has got a trail to it and, and an Instagram page. And so uh, there, people are everywhere. I got a call on Saturday afternoon uh, from a friend of mine. and Unfortunately, a family member of hers had been killed. Kim Titchener knows the couple's family. She's the founder of Alberta-based Bear Safety and More. She says the majority of bear attacks tend to be caused by surprise run-ins and that predatory grizzly bears are rare. One thing that will trigger a bear, though, is dogs. 
Bears look at dogs as another carnivore. They're like, you are a threat to me or my cubs or my food source. And then they'll end up chasing the dog to try to attack them. And then of course, often the dog comes back to the people and then the people get viewed as a threat by the bear and then they get attacked. Seniors Minister Jason Nixon is the former general manager of the Mountain Air Lodge. It's close to where the attack happened. We lost a resident two years ago, that, that, that same thing, a neighbor of mine uh, in a tragic accident with a grizzly bear. And so I think we have to recognize the population is growing and we're going to see more interactions between humans and bears. And, you know, what those conversations look like, I don't fully know, but I think they're worth having. Parks Canada plans to release more information on Tuesday, but some questions may never be answered. No one's there to tell the tale. Unfortunately, those people are lost and... Um, it's, it's just a great tragedy. Carol and Curry de Castillo, Global News. And closer to home, residents in the Rose Valley neighborhood in West Kelowna are noticing a new contraption in their backyard. The BC Conservation Officer Service placed this bear trap in the Rose Meadow Road area Sunday. Bear sightings usually escalate this time of year as they track down high-calorie foods to beef up ahead of winter hibernation. But since the devastating McDougal Creek wildfire, several area residents have noticed a significant uptick in wildlife activity, including bears. Just the other night, a couple nights ago, like we all have cameras, so yeah, there was, he started over there and came across over here and actually woke us up at 3.30 in the morning with a bunch of ruckus. Anytime there's bears in our neighborhood, my perception is, is that what's happening is that the bears are, uh, are going after garbage. And when bears are going after garbage, we should probably move them out of the neighborhood. So it feels to me that um, if there's a bear in the neighborhood, a bear trap to get them out of here seems like a good thing. Former U.S. President Donald Trump, three of his children and his family business went on trial in New York today. A civil fraud case that could be a major blow to his real estate empire. Trump and his family are accused of inflating the value of his assets by billions of dollars to secure better loans and insurance terms. Jennifer Johnson has more. A defiant Donald Trump inside a Manhattan courthouse, firing insults at the people who have brought this case to trial. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one one hundredth, a tiny fraction of what they actually are. We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show. But New York's attorney general isn't backing down as she takes on the former president and the Trump organization. The lawsuit claims Trump overstated his wealth by billions of dollars and property values by hundreds of millions while seeking loans. Donald Trump and the other defendants have committed persistent and repeated fraud. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. The Trumps and their company are accused of fraud, falsification of business records, financial statements and conspiracy, a case that began four years ago when Trump's former attorney testified before Congress. It was my experience that Mr. Trump inflated his total assets when it served his purposes. Assets, including his Trump Tower apartment, which the former president falsely claimed in financial statements was 30,000 square feet when it's actually under 11,000. Trump and his family have denied any wrongdoing. What we are witnessing is election interference of somebody who is leading in the polls the more they hit him. So keep hitting him because he's going to keep fighting. The attorney general is seeking $250 million and a slew of sanctions that would severely limit the Trump's ability to do business in New York. 
The current GOP frontrunner is expected to testify, hoping the power of persuasion that won him the White House will help him win this case too. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. The scientists who paved the way for COVID-19 mRNA vaccines have won the Nobel Prize in medicine. The pair's groundbreaking findings fundamentally changed our understanding of messenger RNA technology and contributed to the unprecedented rate of vaccine development during the pandemic. We've been thinking for years about everything that we could do with RNA, and now it's here. For decades, Drew Weissman and Catalin Carico knew their work was meaningful, but it wasn't obvious to everyone else when they published in 2005. And I'm sure people are laughing, but everybody was saying RNA, huh, nobody cares about RNA, it's a joke. But their research led to a crucial turning point in the COVID-19 pandemic. RNA, otherwise known as ribonucleic acid, is present in all living things and can act as a messenger, giving the body instructions on how to fight infection, called mRNA. Injecting lab-grown mRNA into the body triggers a reaction to destroy it. But these scientists figured out how to make a tiny modification to these building blocks that allows the mRNA to slip past immune defenses. I was the RNA person and do as an immunologist, and we educated each other. This technology helped make COVID-19 vaccines available quickly at a time when they were desperately needed around the world. These vaccines truly have saved millions and millions of lives, and that's just the beginning. The implications of the discovery have been opening the doors for other vaccines and treatments, according to infectious diseases expert Dr. Isaac Bogosh. Malaria. Uh, parasitic worm infections like these these are maladies that impact you know billions of people on the planet but don't get the attention a big step forward and shift in perspective the future is is just so incredible all of a sudden rna is something Catherine ward global news toronto one of the busiest search and rescue teams in canada needs your help the contest ends on wednesday and uh, we need to get those daily votes. The amazing new asset Squamish Search and Rescue is hoping to win and what they need from you to push them over the top. Also ahead, why former Canuck Brandon Sutter's NHL comeback attempt has come to an end. All right, Christy is here now with a look at our weather forecast. We're looking back to how we did in September, Christy. Yeah, we'd like to track these stats right now just because we need the substantial moisture. And we didn't really get it this September, although it was pretty unsettled towards the end of it. Now, in terms of temperature, we averaged out near averages, what I would call this at 19.3 in terms of the average daytime high. But we actually surpassed the average in terms of the number of days of rain. And that was really just in the last two weeks of September. But the total precipitation only reached 33 millimeters, whereas typically in September we'd get 51. So although it was sort of cool and unsettled towards the of September, we just didn't get enough moisture into the ground. This is using YVR as an example, and this is the calendar just showing you, yeah, it was definitely the back end of September had the majority of that precipitation. We had some sunshine over the weekend, rainfall today, well-needed rain, but it's now shifting south of the region, and that will continue to be the case overnight. We've got another system that's going to move on to the north coast tomorrow morning, and then drive towards the southeastern portion of the province throughout the latter part of the day, bringing some rainfall, but nothing 
nothing for the Vancouver Island and South Coast area, but we will see a few showers by the evening hours across uh, the um, sort of northern uh, Okanagan region. And then beyond that, we've got a ridge of high pressure again. So we don't have a lot of rain in the forecast in this next seven days. Except for tomorrow, we'll see periods of rain for the north coast. That will shift into the Caribou Central Interior in the afternoon. And the areas like Kamloops have a chance, and same for Revelstoke, have a chance of showers by the evening hours. South coast, though, we'll see cloud cover tomorrow. And again on Wednesday, we have a bit of cloud cover in the forecast with maybe a slight chance of a sprinkle. But beyond that, look at this forecast. Yes, sunshine and heat, potentially 20 to 25 degrees on Saturday. All right, tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from the Bulkley Valley area near Smithers. Beautiful shot of the valley there with this ominous looking layer of cloud moving in. Thank you to Kelsey for that one. All right, so back to you. All right, thanks very much, Christy. American gymnast Simone Biles is once again making history, becoming the first woman to land one of the world's most difficult vaults. Take a look. The 19-time world champion nailed the Yurchenko double pike at the World Artistic Gymnastics Championships. The skill will now be named after her, making it her fifth named element. This is Biles' first international competition since she got the twisties at the Tokyo Games in 2021. The twisties is a spatial disorientation condition common in gymnastics. Let's see it one more time. Wow. Mm. I can't even do a cartwheel. I know my neighbor Haley Ferguson is probably just doing her own backflips being a little young gymnast herself. So oh, yeah. impressive stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good role model, Simone Biles. I'm yeah, so, so sad about uh, Brandon Sutter. We will talk about that yeah. coming up in sports. And we're also going to talk about the Canucks because the burning question heading into Canucks training camp was who's going to play alongside Quinn Hughes? Hearing Rick Tockett discuss the subject sure seems like we just asked a trick question because it's looking more and more like it's going to be defense by committee with rotating deep partners on the blue line for the Canucks this season. Want this who's the guy right now we don't have that guy in the set per se to me we do have the guys we have a bunch of guys out there. that's the way I look at it just like it like in baseball you, know, you have a lot of relievers that are great relievers that's the way I look at it. Also ahead tonight. The, the volunteers of Swamish Search and Rescue are going up against some pretty big star teams from the United States. The Defender Service Awards contest and the big prize on the line, Squamish Search and Rescue is hoping you will help them win. <laughs> you just feel so far away, but anyway. Uh, should we hug it out? Maybe during the commercial break. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Let's talk a little sports. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks back practicing following their 5-2 preseason victory over the Oilers on Saturday. Still some roster spots up for grabs and also who might, be, uh, who might man the blue line with Captain Quinn Hughes. Nobody's really stepped up and won that job. Both Noah Juleson and Cole McWard still in camp. But as it stands right now, according to bench uh, slash board boss Rick Tockett, it appears to be defense by committee. He's been named the captain for the Canucks this season, but who will play alongside defenseman Quinn Hughes? You guys want this who's the guy. Right now, we don't have that guy in the set per se. To me, we do have the guys. We have a bunch of guys up the door. That's the way I look at it. So until someone steps up and claims the role, it will be a group effort to share the defensive responsibility of playing alongside one of the best young defensemen in the NHL. We're built as a committee, and I like that. You know, it's a, I don't think it's a true, hey, we got, you know, some, some teams are built different where they got, you know, three, three guys that play 20 plus. 
I like ours where we spread it out. Obviously, Huggy's going to get his time and then Hironic. With Hughes and Philip Hironic logging the majority of the minutes, there will be an opportunity for players to prove their value. You know, it depends on what this team needs. Um, obviously, down there in the, in the American League last year, uh, I was kind of relying on to, to put points up on the board and, and put points up uh, for our team to win hockey games. And, and here, you know, you have one of the best off the offensive defensemen in the world in, in Quinn Hughes. And um, obviously, I'm a left side offensive defenseman or maybe two-way in this league. So my job is just um, do whatever I have to do to fill the gaps. One player who has been working alongside Hughes in the preseason is 22-year-old Cole McWard. We've been playing together for, you know, a couple days and played some games together. So just trying to get more comfortable and, and uh, build some chemistry with him if I can. The kid from The Ohio State University is making the most of his time on the ice with the captain. You know, he's talking to me a lot and, uh, you know, just little details and, and little parts of my game. I feel like I'm adding a lot uh, just watching him and listening to him, listening to the coaches. So, you know, it felt good. Get the feet moving and, and have a high energy practice. The next test for the D-man will be dealing with the pace of the Seattle Kraken, and if he passes that, Coach Rick Tockett might even be tempted to start the youngster for the season opener against the Oilers. When he plays the next game, he's going to play a game here coming up. Uh, Want to see a little bit more. And, uh, and you know, one thing, you can't be scared to do things. Well, I'm not scared to do things. So. Former Vancouver Canucks forward Brandon Sutter has officially ended his trial with the Edmonton Oilers and is retiring from the NHL. Sutter was attempting his NHL comeback after missing the last two and a half seasons due to long-term COVID. 34-year-old finishes his 13-year career with 770 NHL games, and he really is one of the really, really good guys. Uh, by Detroit, that, that's what makes it hard. I think Vlasic did an excellent job. Bedard, what a move and a save by Reimer. How enjoyable is it going to be watching Connor Bedard doing his Connor Bedard things for the Blackhawks this season? He's had just under 20 minutes of ice time versus Detroit last night. Didn't score, but he had four shots on goal. But my, oh, my, the NHL moves are coming from Connor Bedard. Bring on the NHL regular season. Vancouver Whitecaps have three games to go in their uh, regular season, but for all intent and purposes, it's playoff time right now for Vanny Sartini and the Caps. Vancouver will host front-running St. Louis on Wednesday. Caps currently sit sixth in the standings. No easy 90 minutes as from here on out, every match against, is against playoff-bound teams. Caps uh, lost to St. Louis on the road 3-1 a few, weeks, uh, few months back. I think we need to be on our best behavior in order to try to win games, to win this game. Also because we can do it because the game that we played there, we lost, but we didn't deserve to lose. So it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a good reminder that uh, we need to be very good even in those small, decisive things. Sure looks like Chase Claypool is done in Chicago. Bears benching their wide receiver on the weekend and making him inactive for yesterday's game against the Denver Broncos after Claypool openly questioned his usage by the Bears coaching staff. Claypool hasn't exactly lit it up with his play to start the season. Four receptions on 14 targets, 51 yards, one touchdown in three games. His work ethic and lackadaisical blocking is a huge knock on his on-field performance this year. Today he was told to stay away from the Bears facility and the Bears pulled no punches on why they came to this decision. Yeah, it's just like we said, you know, for in the building we feel that's best for the team. And really it comes down to this, you know, when you're evaluating players, right, you know, in meetings, you know, in practice, Right. And, you know, and, you know, and walkthroughs, all those things, it's important that you evaluate the entire body of work. Right. And we just feel that right now, Chase is going to be out of the building's best for our football team. Why did it get to this point with Chase? Yeah, I would just say that, you know, 
what we think is best for the team and how we operate here as a football team, you know, with the Chicago Bears, you know, when I came here day one, right, I talked about, you know, being on time, you know, being respectful and working hard. And that, that to me is important um, for every individual, if it's a staff member, a player, or, you know, or a coach. And uh, that's where we are. And we feel right now this is the best decision for us. Tell you, here's a guy who's worked himself back into the lineup. Jamal Adams back for the Seattle Seahawks after missing 385 days due to a torn quad tendon. But his game today lasted all of nine plays against the New York Giants. Makes the tackle on Daniel Jones, but takes the knee to the head. Was a bit woozy when he got back up. Doctors said, no, you're not going back in. Should also mention Geno Smith is out of this game for Seattle's right now. They're late in the second. Seahawks leading the Giants by a score of 14 to three, but some injuries hitting the Seahawks in this game. Yikes. All right. Thank you, Jay. Well, they generously give their time to help rescue hundreds of lost or injured outdoor enthusiasts every year. Next, how you can help Squamish search and rescue win a new customized vehicle. Jordan Armstrong now with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Sophie, more tonight on the L driver busted for going nearly 200K in an 80 zone. You'll hear from a critic who doesn't think the fine is enough of a deterrent. Also, a senior donkey has found his forever retirement home thanks in part to social media. 22-year-old Frank arrived at the BC SPCA after his previous owners were no longer able to care for his medical needs. At 11, you'll hear... Who's adopted this wonderful donkey and why? Those stories coming up tonight. Sophie? Looking forward to that. Thank you, Jordan. One of Canada's busiest volunteer search and rescue teams here in B.C. is a finalist in a continent-wide contest that could make a huge difference to their operations. Rumina Dea has the details and a woman who says Squamish Search and Rescue saved her from a life-changing injury. Deep in the forest, on a mountain biking trail in Squamish this summer, a Washington State woman suffers a freak accident. I knew something terrible had happened. I just didn't know what at the time. Mary Neff's Achilles tears through her heel bone, the clock ticking. Neff needs immediate surgery or her foot will likely be amputated. A pandemonium of dense brush, making a helicopter rescue impossible. So Squamish search and rescue volunteers hike in and carry Neff out on a stretcher. I was pretty close to losing my foot. I don't know that I could find the words to talk about how much gratitude I have for, for people who are doing that. Squamish Star, made up of roughly 80 members, all volunteers, put in more than 6,000 hours a year. The team, one of the busiest in Canada, now needs the public's help. The Defender Service Awards recognize nonprofits on a mission to help serve their communities. More than 100 entries. Squamish SAR now in the top five, the only Canadian team in North America to be chosen as a finalist in the Defender Service Awards contest. The grand prize, a customized eight-person 4x4 Land Rover worth over $100,000. A game changer in the rugged backcountry, especially now that wildfires have impacted helicopter availability. Since COVID, not only has our call volume gone up, but the calls for assistance have gone farther and farther outside of Squamish. This vehicle is not only significant to get our team further into the field, but once our team gets further into the field, we're able to bring 
an injured person or people back to rendezvous with ambulance faster, more efficiently. Squamish Sar grateful for an epic amount of support, but now making an 11th hour push. The winner chosen by the public. We really need help from everyone. Online voting closes October 4th, just before midnight Eastern time. Texas Search and Rescue, one of Squamish's greatest competitors. The winner of the off-road vehicle, plus a $25,000 donation, will be announced in November. Romina Dea, Global News. And I'm just looking at the website right now. Apparently yeah. you can vote once a day. Once like a you day. You can vote more than once. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that right. So today, today tomorrow, tomorrow, and the 4th. Yes. So, so three more. You can vote three times. Yeah, I'm going to do yes. it right now. Squamishsar.org. Okay. Got it. They do incredible, important work. Yes, they do. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Christy, it was good to see some rain mm -hmm. today, but boy, is it ever going to change by the weekend or by later this week? Yeah, so we're going to be lucky. Similar to what we saw last weekend, it looks like we've got another trend towards this following, this next weekend, where ridge of high pressure is going to build. We know we need the rainfall, and we'll be tracking that in the long range. It looks like into the following week after that, we could see some rain. But we, uh, I know a lot of people are enjoying fall-like weather with uh, forecasts like this, 20 to 25 degrees potentially on Saturday. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. well above seasonal for this time of year. That's uh, summer-like weather yeah. in October. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Christine. Thank you for joining us tonight. Have a good night, everyone.